omnipresence of God. We want you to know that we are making space for the revelation of your nearness to be real to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. We don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to hear a bunch of nice words. We want to encounter the word. The final word over our lives. The word that reveals the person of Jesus, the living word. The word who is eternal who has been with the Father forever and took on flesh. That word, that's the word that the Holy Spirit reveals to us, makes real in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way tonight. Have your way. Amen. So be it. Amen. All right. Yeah, take a deep breath, right? Just take that in. I love, uh, I love what Jesus said to his, his disciples after his resurrection. He breathed on them, and he said, receive the Spirit. And he said, when, when you breathe in the Spirit of God, you'll be able to breathe out the message of God. But only those who breathe in can breathe out. We have a lot of people who are trying to breathe out before they breathe in. <laughs> you know? And that just sounds weird. They're out of breath. And I believe that tonight is an opportunity for us to take a deep breath so we can be ambassadors of reconciliation and forgiveness. That was rather important to Jesus. He said, look, if you withhold Forgiveness, it is withheld because you are an extension of the work of the Spirit. Don't you realize this? When you breathe in forgiveness, you will breathe out forgiveness. When you realize that you have been forgiven, you have been reconciled, you are known, you are seen, you are called, you will breathe that out. You won't have to try to breathe it out. You won't have to force it out. You will just breathe it out. Because it's what's in you. So we breathe in tonight. Amen? Amen. Y'all could be seated. Thank you so much. Uh, worship team. Y'all holding it down all weekend. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See Pastor Shane up here now tonight too. Nice. Oh, y'all. Uh, I am, I've really enjoyed my time with y'all. And I really, who was here this morning? Can I see hands? I'm just trying to figure out who I'm speaking to. Let's see. Okay, the majority of you. I'm going to pick up just where I left off this morning. Is that cool? Can I just keep going? Can we just keep talking about prayer? Okay, great. I'm glad six of you are excited about that. And the rest of you, you'll get excited as I get into it. But before I do that, I want to know who has been in every single service? Can I see some hands? Have you been in every Single service. Wow. That's amazing. Okay, Asher, can you come up here real quickly? Keep your hands up. Hands up. Hands up. Come here, Asher. Bring the two books. Come on up here. Thank you, son. Y'all, for those of you who haven't been to the services where I've introduced my amazing son, this is Asher Alexander Bevere. Yep. Give him a hand. You want to share anything? He, he was like, don't you dare make me share anything. Y'all, this is so messed up. My dad used to do this to me. And I know how annoying this is, and here I am doing it to him. This is called the sins of the father right here. <laughs> I am so sorry. Do you forgive me? You'll be okay. Okay, I'll be okay. Thank you. All right, hands up. I want to know who's been here. Okay, so we ran out of words. Hey, where are you going? I still need you. Get back up here. We ran out of words with God books today. So if you wanted to get one or you wanted, yes, yeah, praise God. If you wanted to get one or if you wanted to give it away, I'm sorry, we ran out. But here's the good news. If you're listening, you're like, I want to get that book. Amazon, you can get it from there. We'll be here probably tomorrow. Audiobook, ebook, physical book, choose your adventure. I do read 
the audiobook, just so you know. I, I like it when the author reads the audiobook. I do read the audiobook, just so you know. Keep your hands up. I know. This is just shoulder workout. You know, we had some right shoulders prayed for today. We're just testing those things out right now. Um, Asher, I want you to pick someone. Y'all can choose which book. I want you to pick someone, because they're here at all the services, to give either awe of God or Holy Spirit introduction to. So pick someone. Just go. Pick someone. No, all right. You're going to give it to Jonathan? No, you can't pick Jonathan. Pick someone else. Go deep. Go deep. No. You really want to give it to Jonathan? He already has it. He has both of them. You got to pick someone else. Yeah, I dig it. So go. Bring. And let this gentleman pick. Okay. There we go. Love it. All right. Now, keep hands up. Now you need to pick someone else. Go give them all of God. Now, y'all, we do have some Holy Spirit and all of God books left back there at the table. Um, this is the new book from my dad, if y'all don't have it. It's absolutely amazing. It's actually, honestly, y'all, it's taking this country by storm. Like, he was on Good Morning America talking about this. It's, it's been incredible what God is doing through this book. It's top 10, all books, for like the last four months. Um, so, you, can, you pick someone. Pick someone. Hey, Asher, be led, okay? Yeah, I was feeling that too. I felt like it was for Mr. Todd. I didn't set that up. Thank you, sir. You may sit down now. Oh, man. All right, so this morning after the second service, Pastor Mark got up and, and just expounded and clarified and crystallized some of the things that I had shared during the message, and he was talking about Romans 8. And when Paul describes the, the groanings, this deep prayer, this guttural prayer that words just can't do justice to. And, and we know Romans 8, yes, it's speaking, of pre, speaking in tongues, but even more so, I truly believe it's, it's a cry of prayer that reaches beyond words. And, um, and then he went on to talk about how the purposes and the plans of God and how those work out for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And, and, and I loved that. I loved hearing that and, and uh, creating that parallel with the teruah. For those of you who weren't here, the teruah is that low, broken note that is played with the shofar that, that starts in brokenness, that, that starts kind of out of pitch and out of tune and rises and becomes a sound of defiant joy. It is born out of brokenness, and it emerges in triumphant joy. And, and, I, and I absolutely love that. I want to read a couple things to y'all, a couple scriptures from what we were talking about this morning. I feel like it's important for you to, to hear these verses, okay? Because I think you're going to hear them in a new way. Hebrews 5, I don't have slides for this. This is all new. Hebrews 5, verses 7 through 8. I just don't want the team in the back being like, we're, it's not in there. Don't worry. We'll get, we'll get those verses later. It reads, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, y'all ready? With loud, oh, look at y'all, with loud cries and tears. Mm, Jesus, cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, and he knew what it was to be a son better than anyone, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned what it was to be an obedient son through what he suffered. You know, there's something amazing about God. We, we live in a world that doesn't want to be corrected, right? And, and that's because a lot of us, we haven't been corrected the right way, just to be honest. I mean, the writer of Hebrews even says in Hebrews 12, like, earthly fathers, they're, they're imperfect. And they, you know, they do their best correcting you, um, but the, the writer of Hebrews says, hey, if you're not corrected, you're actually an illegitimate child. And what this tells me is that God claims those he corrects. God claims those he corrects. The evidence of our sonship is in the, the tender but clear correction of God. And we see that played out in the life of the perfect son. And I want to go to Job 13 because as I was praying, this verse kept coming back to me. And, and I love it because it perfectly captures what I was sharing this morning. This is Job crying out. And he says, though he slay me, 
Though he slay me, I will trust in him. Y'all ready for this next part, though? Yet, I will argue my ways to his face. Y'all see that? Yet he slay me. I will trust him. Yet, I will argue my ways to his face. Y'all, God likes it when we take that posture with him, where it's this radical contrast of opposites, where we come to him, you're like, God, you are the God of paradoxes. You are. And I'm bringing to you the tension, the paradox that I find myself living, and I know that by your power, somehow faith reconciles what feels irreconcilable. So, I, um, I want to dive into prayer as a way of life. If we were going to title this message, we'll call it Prayer as a Way of Life. Cool? Prayer as a Way of Life. There's the title. Those of you taking notes, Prayer as a Way of Life. Put that on the top. Okay. I was having a phone call with a buddy of mine, and uh, he's, he's a millennial, and he's deconstructing his faith. Uh, grew up in church, did all of that, no longer in church, really doesn't want anything to do with it. Um, and he's, he's starting to question, at the time, he started questioning God, the existence of God, all those things. And we were on the phone, and we were talking about prayer. And, I, and this was actually when I was writing Words with God. And I, I was asking him, like, hey, what is, like, are you praying? Are you talking to God? What does that look like? And he goes, Addison, I'm going to be real with you. Now, I love this friend. He's one of those guys who's super witty and just says things as they are. He doesn't pull any punches. And he goes, Addison, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, God's the only one who can get away with not showing up for a daily conversation that he expects for you to show up for every single day. He's like, God's the only one. He's like, any other person in my life, I'd be done with them. He's like, I've tried. I've showed up for God, and God didn't show up for me. I checked the boxes Seem like God is checked out. And for my friend, what happened is he really sought God. He was navigating some big decisions in his life, and he really sought God, and he, and he now feels like he made the wrong decisions. And he's like, God, where were you? Where were you in this? Why didn't you speak to me? Why didn't you reach me? Y'all heard my story from earlier today where I talked about five years of insomnia, I actually want to give you the backstory to that story. I was in my garage. I was 26, I think, 26 years old. And something that I don't, honestly, I don't share this very often publicly, um, but I didn't want to do anything with ministry because of who my parents are. As far as forward-facing ministry, ministering to people in this context, I didn't want to do it because of who my parents were. And I ran from, I've had prophetic words spoken over me since before I was born. Uh, before my dad even knew that I was in my mom's stomach, Oral Roberts prophesied over me um, and said, you're, born, you're, you're pregnant and you have a boy and this is, this is who he's going to be and this is what he's going to do. And I've run from that because I hated being compared to my parents. I hated it. I hated people placing expectations on me who didn't know me, presuming to know me, being like, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. I'd be like, you don't know me. I'm 15 years old. I'm 16 years old. This is a lot of pressure. And um, I didn't want anything to do with that. And I was 26 years old, y'all, and I was in the garage, and I was serving faithfully at Messenger in this season. And I was like, okay, I'd come to terms with the fact that God had called me to serve in ministry for a season. And I was like, I'll do that as long as it's behind the scenes. As long as I don't ever have to get up in front of people, I'm happy to serve behind the scenes. And God came to me, in my garage, I remember exactly where I was. I was sweeping the floor, y'all. I was not doing anything special or quote-unquote holy. I was sweeping the garage. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God said, hey, I've called you to do this. Are you going to say yes? And I knew in that moment, like it was a, this is your moment. And you can say no, but my will is for you to say yes. I knew it. I remember exactly where I was standing. I was sweeping. I had set the broom down. I was about to walk into my house, and my hand was like this over the doorknob, but I hadn't touched the doorknob. 
And I was like, okay, what's, what's going to happen here? And I said yes, and I turned the doorknob and I went into the house. Y'all, I expected it to be, boom, okay, son, let's go. Here's the next step, next step, next step, next step. Y'all, it's like God vacated my life at that moment. It was like God was like, okay, hey, yes, he has said yes to sonship, rite of passage, here we go. Get out in the wilderness, canyon moment, let's go. That's seriously what it felt like. And I spent the next five years being like, what in the world, God, did I say yes to? Everything about my life felt like it was leading in the opposite direction, everything. I was like, God, I didn't want to do this. I don't want, I still don't want to do this. What is going on? What is this supposed to look like? And I learned, y'all, I learned in that season, I learned about the silence. Everyone say the silence. Did y'all know that silence is a language of God's? Yeah, I don't either. (laughs) Silence is a language of God's. Y'all know in 1 Kings 19, when Elijah when he runs away, he's had this amazing moment of ministry. He has dropped the hammer. He is the man. Everyone knows he is the man. He has created this whole public spectacle. The nation's been changed. And then Jezebel's like, hey, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. You're dead. And what does he do? He gets scared and he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs. And he finds himself at the mountain. And then what happens? There's the fire, there's the wind. There is the earthquake, but God's not in the spectacle. But then God comes and what? And what? Whispers. But do you know how it actually reads in Hebrew? God comes in the thin silence. When he has nothing else, God comes in the thin silence. Silence. Y'all, there's a, there's a verse, Psalm 65. Y'all don't have this one either. Don't put it up because I'm actually using the alternate translation. Praise waits for you in silence, O God, in Zion. Praise waits for you in silence, O God, in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed. Listen to this. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh Come. See, I believe that God leads us into the silence, into the canyon, the place where we have to get honest about whether we're having words with God or just words with ourselves. God leads us into the silence so we can unlearn the voice of the accuser. Otherwise, we look for God's voice, the great voice, in the tone and tenor of the accuser. Y'all, so many of you struggle to hear the voice of God because you're looking for the wrong voice. And so what does God do? God knows that the voice of accusation is baked into the systems of communication that we are brought up in. He knows that. And so what does he do? He brings us to a place where we unlearn the tone and tenor of the accuser so we can begin to trust and understand and walk with the sound and the presence of God. You see, there's this old quote, and I love it. It goes, we do not know each other yet. We have not yet dared to be silent together. We do not know each other yet. We have not yet dared to be silent together. See, silence is scary. Silence is not something that we can control. But silence is surrender. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Y'all are like, but wait, wait, does God not speak to me? Oh, yes, God will speak to you. God speaks to you in silence and in sound. Jesus made it clear that, hey, My sheep, they're going to know my voice, and I'm going to lead them in and out. 
They're going to know what to do. They're going to know where to go. We see in the book of Acts, we see a precedent of profound communion with the Spirit of God, an understanding of where to go, of what to do, of what it is to be people of purpose. We struggle, though, to engage with that kind of communion and connection because what we hear is the voice of the accuser. I shared this with the men this weekend, but it's fascinating to me that Jesus, y'all need to hear this, you young people, Jesus has beloved sonship spoken over him by the Father. And then what happens? He goes out into the wilderness. He's led there by the Spirit of God, and he goes into silence. The only voice that's in the wilderness is the voice of the accuser. And it's through facing down the accuser that he learns to participate in the voice of God. You see, God's voice is not just supposed to be something out here, external, way out of arm's, like arm's length. It's supposed to be something that moves inside of us, that becomes a part of our own voice. Like Our voice becomes a holy amen to the voice. We are called to be oracles of God. But that can't happen when the voice of the accuser is the voice over our lives. So the first dimension of prayer that I want to touch on is this idea of the voice or the silence. The second is the presence. We struggle to be silent and still in a world that thrives. Listen to this, y'all. You need to hear what I'm about to say. The world thrives on your distraction and your dissatisfaction. The world thrives, thrives, flourishes. The systems of this world flourish on your distraction and your dissatisfaction. There's no system of this world that wants you focused, that wants you present, that wants you in tune. There's none. Otherwise, they can't sell you their goods. They can't send you whatever direction their agenda tells them to send you, they can't do it. According to a study done by Harvard psychologists, Gilbert and Killingsworth, we spend, listen to this, y'all, nearly 50% of our time living in the non-present. You know what else they found? The key to human flourishing is how present you are to the moment. They actually found that your presentness to the moment is a better indicator of your happiness than the nature of the moment that you're in. So you could actually be navigating a really difficult circumstance, even something tragic. And if you're present to it, you'll actually be healthier than you would be if you were navigating something that would be easy or fun or simple and you were non-present. Yo, that's profound. Think about that. And in my season of dislocation, during these years, I discovered a prayer. The Spirit of God actually gave me this prayer, and I wanna give this to y'all as a tool to be in the presence, because everything happens in the presence of God and in the presence of others, everything. And in the presence that God requires us and invites us into when it comes to understanding ourselves. Everything happens in that place. It's a really simple prayer. Three words. I write about it in words with God. I am here. I am here. That's it. Y'all, I started praying this all the time. I am here. I am here. God, I am here. I am here. You're like, okay, Addison, that's great. I am here. Well, let me explain what it is. Number one, for me, this was surrender of place. I am here in this moment with y'all, right here in this place. As much as we try to be two places at once, we cannot be two places at once. When we try to be two places at once, we end up being nowhere. So I am here as a surrender of place. I'm saying, God, only you are omnipresent. I'm here with the people in this room. 
So I want to be in tune to what's happening in this place. I am here. It locates me right here in this place. Number two, I am here as a surrender of time. No, all I have is the present. I can't do anything about my past, and I can't control the future. But the enemy of your soul wants you to live in the past so you're riddled with regret, or he wants you living in the future so you're riddled with anxiety. He doesn't want you in the present. He wants to distract you from what God is doing in that present moment. And y'all, it's not just like we, I don't want to make this sound just like a church thing or whatever. Like I'm talking about whatever good in life because God's desire is that you would flourish in life. Well, the accuser comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. He comes that we might have, God sent his son, Jesus, the revelation of God's heart, that we would have life in its fullness. So this isn't just about how I navigate things in this context or that context. I'm talking about weekends with your friends. I'm talking about time with your family. I'm talking about how you engage what's happening at school. This is what you have. Y'all will look back. You'll be like, oh, man, I wish I would have been present in that moment. You see, people who are on their deathbed, they have a really good understanding of time. Risk looks, <laughs> it looks a lot less risky. People seem a lot more forgivable. And one of the great gifts that God has given to us, he's, he invites us to die daily. Die daily meaning trust him with what has gone before us and what will come beyond us. And be in the day. Surrender to him in the day. And that's where we find the perspective of death. I know that sounds morbid, but it actually is clear. So the second part is a surrender of time. The third is a surrender of presence. The great I am is here. When I pray, I am here, I am declaring that God is here with me in this moment. The Lord is at hand. When we recognize that God is here with us, we can be present to the presence of others. I shared this this weekend, but when we feel abandoned by God, we don't believe that God is here with us. We look to other people for something that they can never give to us. And then we end up isolating and separating ourselves and pulling away, feeling unknown, feeling misunderstood. And we have this amazing promise that even in our disorientation and dislocation, God is here with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. As I said earlier, God's presence speaks, y'all, through both silence and sound. That's the big idea of Psalm 29. If you read that whole psalm, it's the voice of the Lord goes out. 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 Are we going to be people who see that, who hear that, who feel that? We can't if we're not people who are here. I'm going to show you all three verses, well, three passages. Pay attention to these parallels. Philippians 4, 4 through 6. Y'all know this one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now check out what Paul says here. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let's just stop there. How many of you would say that rejoicing always is the most reasonable thing you can do? Like, for real. I mean, let's just be real people. Like, that sounds crazy. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. But for Paul, the key is the next statement. Look at that. No, go back. The Lord is what? What he's saying is the most reasonable thing for you to do is to be a person of joy because you live in the reality that the Lord is at hand. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and... Y'all, we don't celebrate joy enough. I'm just going to say this in the church. We're way too uptight. Joy is a kingdom principle, a kingdom value. It is defiant 
in ways, like honestly, that we can't defy the pain of life in any other way other than joy. It rises up from the inside of us and it cannot be shaken. But this cannot happen if we don't live in the reality that the Lord is at hand. So going on, do not be anxious about anything. When you know that the Lord is at hand, you're not anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Look at this. Everything by prayer. Rejoice in the Lord always, known to everyone. This is, these are big words, inclusive words. All right, Romans 12, 12. Rejoice and hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Y'all see the parallel here? Same thing from Philippians 4. Rejoice in hope. Be constant in prayer. All right, let's keep going. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Y'all, let's just talk about ceaseless prayer for a moment. Can we talk about ceaseless prayer? You can see here, Paul has told three different groups of people and us, you need to pray without ceasing. You need to pray constantly. What does he mean by that? Pastor Tasha told me a really funny story. Can I share that? Can I, can I share it? No? Okay. I won't share it. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> I won't share that story. What does it mean to pray, to pray without ceasing? Well, based on the common idea of prayer, it would look something like this. Uh, Dear God, I pray that you'd be with me today. And um, I pray that you'd be with this person, be with that person. And I think it'd be great if you did this. And be, I think it'd be great if you did that. And I pray that your kingdom would be established on earth as it is in heaven. And um, yeah, I think, um, I think there's something. Yeah, that thing. And oh, shoot, I'm supposed to have a conversation. Oh, no, I can't talk to you right now. I'm praying. Um, we need to do this. Obviously, the idea of prayer is us moving our mouths and articulating words is not possible if that's the definition of ceaseless prayer. Did y'all know, and, and I know like this is going to be, do you know prayer is more about what you don't say than what you say? Did you know prayer is more about listening than it is about speaking? Do you know prayer is more about surrender and silence than it is about sound? Now, don't get me wrong. There are moments when we open our mouths and we speak and we declare and we do so with authority. But that authority is wrought in a conviction that is stirring in us, that is forming in us as we connect the dots of how God moves and works in our lives because we are present to what God is doing in the moment. As one of the, the great fathers of the faith, one of the early church fathers, I think it's Cyprian, he said, we can only accept the saying, pray without ceasing, as realistic if we view the entire life of the saint as one mighty integrated prayer. As one mighty integrated prayer. Y'all, prayer is not another thing that we do. It's not another box to check off your list. It is the thing that connects everything that we do. I'm gonna say that again. Prayer is not another thing to do. It's not another box that you check on the list. It's a thing that connects, it's the thing that connects everything, everything that we do. We have forfeited the robustness of prayer by, limi by limiting it to what happens when we move our mouths and articulate words. And there's a reason why the younger generation is getting into all sorts of DIY spirituality. We have forfeited the robustness of connection that is available to us through prayer. If you study the, the history of the church and the seasons of profound prayer, this is something that envelops our entire sense of self 
It's not just a religious duty or religious activity. And that's why Jesus even says in Matthew 6, he's like, hey, don't make your prayers long like the Pharisees do. They like the show. They like the pomp. Be real with God. Be clear about what God is doing. Be open to the Spirit of God. Be open to what the Spirit of God is saying. So praying without ceasing is a heart posture. It's saying, God, I expect you to meet me in every moment. I want to be present to your presence. I want to be present to the presence of the people around me so I can speak your words. I had a moment after the service today where a man came up to me and he's like, I just believe that God, it, God will tell you what to pray for me. And um, the usher who's standing next to me was like, well, sir, do you, do you know what, like, is there something specific you want to ask him to pray for me? He's like, no, I just believe Addison knows. And in that moment, y'all, I was in tune with what was going on in that man's life. And God gave me two very clear visuals for him. And I spoke both of those visuals. I prayed first in silence, but God was already starting. I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and the Spirit of God made it clear to me, like, hey, you're going to pray for him, and something's going to happen. Like, start preparing. And it was like, boom, 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 boom. And I gave him two very clear visuals, and I was able to articulate those, share those with him, and God was already putting those on his heart. So, and I write about this in Words with God, and I touched on it last year with the men, but I want to give you something really practical and simple as you think about this idea of prayer as a way of life. There's two parent categories for prayer. You have what I would call your quality prayer time, and you have your conscious prayer time. Think of this in terms of your relationship with your spouse. You have quality time, those times where you set apart time to go and be together and connect. And it's important that we're intentional about that. But then you have what I call conscious time, which is when you're conscious of your spouse, when you're spontaneous, when you're thinking about her, when you're sending her texts, when you're doing things that weren't planned, when you're in each other's presence, but maybe there are other people in the mix too. But there's the little you know, rub of the shoulder, a little affection, a little subtle. My wife tells me I'm not subtle at all with PDA. But you know, a little subtle PDA, whatever it is, in those moments. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry if that's weird, but it's, it's, it's just what I do. Sorry, Asher. Um, no, he knows. He knows better than anyone. But my point is, Jesus, he modeled a life that incorporated both quality time and conscious time. In John 5, he says, hey, I only do what I see the Father do. He's like, I'm so in tune with the Father through the Spirit. I'm only doing what I see God do. Like, I'm just a mirror. Like, God's working. Y'all don't see it. I'm a mirror. Like, this has been God's heart. This is God's desire. I am flesh. I have taken on flesh reveal who the Father is. I'm in tune with the Father. But then Jesus would also steal away and pray for an entire night. One instance, when he was praying for the tw- who he should appoint as his apostles. He prayed for the whole night. Now, do y'all think he was pr- praying the 52 words or whatever it is in the Lord's Prayer all night? No. He was silent. I guarantee you he was silent most of the night. If I'm wrong, we'll find out in heaven. None of you can disprove that, so I'm just going to stand on that. I feel really good about it. I'm just kidding. I believe that he was in this posture of surrender, of stillness. Even the son who only did what he saw the father doing would pull away. Our lives are built, our prayer lives, prayers we have, are built on those two, and they will feed each other. People ask me, how long should I spend in the closet? How long should I spend in that quality time? I'm like, start. <laughs> Just start. Start that, and then start embracing this truth of conscious time, what it is to pray without ceasing, and watch how they'll feed each other. Watch the symbiotic relationship between the two. The problem is people are trying to do it all with one or the other, and they're not feeding each other, and it's creating this divide or disconnect between their holy moments with God and their unholy moments when they're going through the rest of their life, doing their job, doing whatever it is their day takes them into. And one of Jesus' big radical messages is, I have come to destroy the barriers between the secular and the sacred. Like, you are now temple property. Wherever you go, it's temple business. And that doesn't mean you just stick a little fish sticker on there. 
It means your life now is a living story that tells the greatest story. You have found a place in that, and it moves in and through your everyday lives. I want to close up with a, with a story that I think is really funny. Um, hopefully, y'all hear my heart in this. This is making sense. Y'all track with me? Okay. Okay, great. So I had, I had spent a lot of time teaching on prayer, and I was really tired, okay? And I was flying back to Nashville, and I got an Uber, and it's about a 30-minute drive for me and an Uber back to my house. I get in the car, and I'm, you know, you all know when you're tired, and then you're like super tired. I was super tired. Like, I just wanted to disconnect. I wanted to put my AirPods in. I, of course, was going to be nice and say hello to my Uber driver, but that was going to be it. Like, hello. <laughs> you're a human. I'm a human. Let's get me home. AirPods in. Like, seriously, that's where I was at. I popped my AirPods. I said hello. Popped my AirPods in. And man, the Spirit of God would not let it go. I was like, for real, God? Like, I have been working my butt off all day. I am exhausted. He was listening, y'all, to, <laughs> and I like rap, okay, just for the record. Like, I like rap. But I'm talking hard rap, like F word, every other word rap. And I'm sitting here. And I'm like, okay, God, like his music's blaring. Like I can hear it. I have the, the AirPod Pros. I can hear it. And God's like, you need to talk to him. Like I'm not giving you any peace right now. You need to talk to him. I'm like, what am I going to, like I don't have anything to give. And so I just prayed. I was like, all right, God, this is on you. <laughs> so, I, so I took my AirPods out. I was like, hey, bro, um, what's your name? And I could have just looked it up on my app, but I didn't. I was just like, hey, what, what's your name again? And he told me his name's Melanda. I was like, oh, that's great. Uh, and, he, you know, he, the music's still blaring. Like, he's not turning it down. Like, he, does, he doesn't want me to talk to him either. And so it's awkward because you got that guy trying to start a conversation that he doesn't want to have. But I don't really want to have the conversation either. So, like, where do we go from here? And so it's just bad. Like, I'm small talk, really bad. And... Finally, I, I asked him a question. I don't remember what exactly I asked him. But he turned down the music a little bit. He just turned it down a bit. I mean, it was still, it was still strong, but turned it down a bit. And um, he started opening up to me about his life and where he was at and what had led him to being an Uber driver um, and a dynamic with his girlfriend that was pretty messed up. And he I mean, just opened up right away. I'm like, wow, okay. We're going there. And so he started talking, started sharing all these different things with me. And he shares for basically the next 15 minutes. We're five minutes away from my house. And Holy Spirit's like, I want you to ask him if you can pray for him. And during this time, he had told me that his, his dream was, was to be an engineer uh, or trains. Like he wanted, he's always wanted to work on trains his whole life, his whole life. And he was actually leaving the next day, driving eight hours to a job fair to begin his, his journey to hopefully get recruited and trained by a company so he could work on trains. And his goal was to have his own train. Like that was, he shared all, this, all these things with me. And so I asked him, I said, hey, do you believe in, do you believe in God? And, you know, it got kind of like a, a, like, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I believe. And then I went in. You know, I <laughs> just, boom. And he pulls over and stops the car. And I'm like, all right. Um, and I asked him, like, can I pray for you? He's like, absolutely, yes. <laughs> He's like, would you please pray for me? Y'all, I laid hands on him. I prayed for him. And y'all, that was more powerful than any form of quote-unquote ministry I had done that day. That moment was so powerful. God fell on him. It was such a tender moment. It was the day before that he was driving the next day to Kansas City from Nashville to be a part of this fair. 
And so I pray for him. All that happens. We exchange information. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be praying for you. Keep me posted on what's happening. So I actually just got, he texts me regularly, but can y'all throw these, throw a picture up there? I want y'all to see him. I think, I think y'all have it. Maybe, maybe you don't have this picture. Okay, there he is in his train. Yeah, isn't that amazing? In his train. There he is right there. He just texted me this past weekend. He was actually going to be um, in Nashville this weekend, but I was going to be here with y'all. Um, but God's moving in his life. He's a different man. And it's just amazing to see him chase his dream. And he's doing the thing that he fully believes now, fully believes God created him to do this. And y'all, I, I can you know, get in a moment like this, be like, oh man, give myself a pat on the back. Like, nailed it. <laughs> you know? But the truth is, y'all, my heart breaks when I think about the number of times that I've missed moments like that because I'm not present with my children, my team members, my friends, my wife, strangers, because I'm not sensitive to what the Spirit of God is doing in that moment because I'm living in the non-present, because I'm not living in the reality that God speaks in silence and in sound, because I'm not living in the promise that Paul gives the church in Corinth when he says in the communion or the fellowship of the Spirit, be with you, all times be with you. That connection, that partnership, that integration, be with you. Y'all, the Holy Spirit, and I, and I write this in words of God, but the Holy Spirit is the integrator. He's the one who brings it all together in our lives. He's the one who brings all the fragmented pieces back together. If the worship team wants to come up, that'd be amazing. Um, and he wants us to open the conversation. He wants us to open the conversation. Notice I didn't say he wants us to start the conversation. It's already happening. It's about opening the conversation. And y'all, your faith, your authority, your strength, man, when you start connecting these dots, when you start living in this awareness, it changes everything, everything about your life, about your marriage, about how you parent, about how you lead, about how you serve, everything about your lives. We've got to get past the religious notion that prayer has a start time and a stop time. There are parts of prayer, types of prayer, that have start times and stop times. But the big idea, the big promise is God with us. God for us. God within us. That is the life that we crave. Y'all, that's the life that the world's looking for right now. Like Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they're not going to be as heady as the millennials are. They're just not. They want real power. They want real demonstration. That's why they're looking to crystals and looking to all sorts of things. Why? Because they want something real and tangible. And I believe that God has said, hey, I've moved out of these models that are comfortable for y'all, that are the default response to what it is to be the people of God in this world. My grace, my presence it's calling you over here to this life of intimacy, to this life of connection. And yeah, we can't leave behind the heritage that we've known. That's important. But there's a robustness to prayer and what it is to be people of prayer and embrace prayer as a way of life that we must chase, that we must grab hold of. And to be honest with you, it's more about being grasped by it than grabbing hold of it. Us putting up our hands and saying, Spirit of God, I don't fully understand how all this works. But you want to have words with me. You want to speak to me. 
You want to move into every part of my lives, even the parts of my lives that feel unholy or unworthy. I love what Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, eating, drinking, whatever you do, the most basic things that you do, do it for the glory of God. We hear that, we make that religious. That's not religious. What he's saying is that everything that you do can be an agent that reveals God's heart, God's love, God's passion, God's purpose in the most ordinary, mundane moments of your life. So if you're in here tonight and you're like, God, I want to surrender my ordinary moments to you. I want to open the conversation. I want to be a person of the presence. Just stand your feet. Just stand up. That's you. Just stand up. This is one of those, like, trick calls. Like, everyone should be standing. I'm just kidding. If you, follow, if you want to follow Jesus, stand up. <laughs> and here's the thing. This isn't about you doing more. Actually, in, in Greek, and this is really profound. I'm just going to tell you, warning, profound warning. Pray without ceasing, specifically in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, can actually be translated as an invitation into constant rest. So we think of prayer, we think of work, but that invitation is actually an invitation into this place of rest that is constant. And because you are in rest, you're not participating in what I call frantic inaction. You're actually in tune with what the Spirit of God is doing in that moment, and the action that you do take is targeted. It's intentional, and it gets what needs to get done. And I believe that there's going to be a fresh grace on your life. Just close your eyes. Hold out your hands again. Come, Holy Spirit. A fresh grace on your life. Mm. Wow. Like some of y'all are about ready to break into a way of living and doing that you've never known before because you're going to stop chasing it. It's going to chase you down. You're going to stop trying to grasp it. It's going to grasp you. You're going to be grasped by it where there's been confusion and a lack of clarity, you're gonna see so clearly. Yes and amen over every single one of those situations. Yes and amen. Come Holy Spirit. Y'all, when you're met with the silence, I want you to see that not as a rejection, but as an invitation to a fresh way of knowing God and being known by him. The accuser will come in and say, oh, yeah, see, you did something wrong. God doesn't want to talk to you. You didn't check the right boxes. God is checked out. And that's when you surrender what you know to surrender to God. And you cry out. You don't give yourself over to formula prayers. You cry out. You say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my groanings, from my words? And watch what he does. Watch what he reveals to you about yourself, your situation. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister to hearts and situations the way that only you can do. We're in here, we're standing to our feet, we're saying yes. We're saying yes to being people of your presence. We're saying yes to being people who are constant in prayer, not from a place of striving and works, from a, from a place of holy surrender. We say yes. And God, I thank you that you give your beloved, you give us the will to do your will. Even when we don't fully understand how to do your will, you will give us the will to do your will when we ask, when we humble ourselves before the name that is above every other name. That's a big idea of Philippians 2. So God, do what you do in the hearts and the lives of these people, not just here tonight. I ask that this would extend into this week, that this week would be life-changing for them as they encounter their real everyday lives. They would realize, like, oh my gosh, this isn't just about a Sunday night thing. Wow, 
This is how you meet us. This is what it looks like to be temple people. To be people who carry your presence into the most ordinary, confusing, messy parts of our lives. Mm. Come, Holy Spirit. Y'all are the temple of the living God. Do not let the accuser tell you anything else. God's temple is holy. And God is in the business of making those who are his temple, making them grow into the full stature of holiness. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And the Spirit of God will show you in your everyday lives what it looks like to belong, to be in that place of authority. Come, Holy Spirit. Seal the work that you have done. Seal it. Protect it. As the enemy comes and tries to steal the seeds, or tries to choke them with the cares and the concerns of this life, I pray that these seeds would be sealed, that they would bear fruit in many, in many lives, and not just in many lives, but for many decades to come. I pray, I'm specifically praying over you young people over here. I pray that your lives would be shaped by these words, that in a generation that is distracted and dissatisfied, I pray that y'all would be confidently known and confidently present to the people around you, to the people who need what you have. Even as you're navigating your own dislocation, you will see God's faithfulness and his goodness and his tenderness in those moments. And y'all will be wounded healers. Y'all will have a wound that is surrendered and given to God and healed. And from that place, you will be an instrument that heals and gives and restores. Y'all will be people who will be honest with your pain. You will be authentic and vulnerable, but not in the way that the world tells us vulnerability and authenticity is supposed to look. You will stand in the authenticity of God, the purity of of God, the beauty of God that he has spoken over his sons and daughters. Your lives will be beacons of hope. You will radiate with a joy that will seem unreasonable, but it will be astounding. It will draw people to you in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Yes, God. Yes, God. I love what Pastor Mark shared earlier from Isaiah 40, waiting on the Lord and in that journey of waiting, we are integrated into him. We are intertwined with him. We better understand how he works, how he doesn't grow weary. Even when the situations tell us, life tells us we should be weary, that God should be weary, that God should be done with us. How he continues to work if we would just wait, if we would continue to look to him, to dwell with him. I think of what Jesus says in John 15 about the vine, y'all. This is vine talk. There it is. Come on. This is vine talk. And what does he talk about with the vine? That joy. There's joy we're connected with the vine. There's fruit we're connected with the vine. We don't get to jump off the vine and jump back on the vine. We live on the vine. May y'all be vine people. May we be vine people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Again, God, I pray that you would seal this. Seal your work. Seal your promise. In a way that only you can do. We pray this in the name that is above every single name. Amen. 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 Pastor Mark, it's all yours.
Praise the Lord. You can be seated for just a minute. Y'all hang out just a minute. We're going to seal the deal. I know that prayer sealed the deal. We're going to sing before we leave. Just that that wind song. (laughs) Praise the Lord. We want to receive an offering. Glory to God. God's so good. Just basking in that. And uh, praise God. We've received. If you opened up and you've received. He says if we understand that receiving.